0: Hello, gorgeous goddesses, and welcome back to the Cool Mom 101 podcast. I am your host, Emily Kylo, and I'm so excited to be bringing you this incredible episode featuring Anita, aka The Midwitch. Before we get to that, I want to make sure all of you gorgeous babes know about the Confidence Starter Bundle. It is right now available for you for just $27, and it's really for any woman who is looking to build her confidence because remember confidence is built day by day with the actions you take and the modalities and tips that you use that's how you build your confidence. And so I am giving you all the modalities and tools that I use on a day-to-day basis to continue to build my confidence. And I want you to be a confidence queen too. So make sure you get in on this action and go ahead and buy the confidence starter bundle. It's $27. I'm telling you, it's incredible. Can't wait to see The confidence glow-ups happening left, right, and center for you beautiful ladies. Okay, let's get to today's episode featuring the midwitch. We are talking conscious conception, wild pregnancy, and what that is and how that looks for women, free birth, and how birth in general has come has become a lot different, I should say, than it once was, and how pregnancy, birth, and motherhood can sharpen your intuition. So this episode, as I mentioned, I learned so, so much. Anita is an energetic birth keeper who really supports women on their journeys to connect to their inner knowing. And you know that I had such an incredible labor. And if you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you go and take a listen to that if you want to hear about my um, birth story. So I I loved hearing about these concepts that I had never really heard of, and I know you're going to enjoy them as well. Make sure you'll follow along at The Midwitch if intuitive birth and just intuition in general is something that you are interested about. Okay, let's get to it. Here's episode 66 featuring The Midwitch. Welcome to the show, Anita. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for asking me to be on. I'm very excited. We are going to dig into some juicy topics today, aren't we? Yes, I can't wait. (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) So let's start in with our mom fashions. Are you ready? Yes, I think so. (laughs) What's the best part of being a mom?
1: So obviously the cuddles and the hugs and all of those beautiful things. But when I was thinking about this question, I was thinking about just the absolute joy of being able to bring forth life and then see how that individual life experiences life itself. I just don't think there's anything, yeah, more beautiful. And then also, you know, the way that our children just embody pure joy. Um, Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing to see. I think that's one of the best.
0: Mm, I do love that. Yeah. They're not sitting around stressed about the little details, are they? Not at all. No way. What is the hardest lesson you've learned so far as a mom? The hardest
1: thing for me has been, I, I really like my personal space and my own time and having to try and fit that in as a mom, because I don't even know if that's actually a reality. Like it's a really hard thing to do. And, and, um, even just thinking about the way that I'm kind of wired, I'm a, a manifesto, a human design manifesto, and my two children are both generators. So I have like this peak of energy and then I really need downtime to recover and they just go, 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 go. So that has been a real challenge for me for sure.
0: Hmm, That's so interesting funny you bring this up because I just looked up my son Leo's design and my partner Mario because I was Mm -hmm. curious. And I'm a manifesting generator and so is Leo. I was like, that makes sense. Um, And then my partner is a generator. So it's kind of interesting to look in the context of your family as well.
1: Absolutely. You you start to understand the dynamics. Well, my partner is also a generator. So I'm with three generators, which... And even just like the little bits about if they don't get their energy out during the day and they come to bed, like if my partner comes to bed and he's not got his energy out, I just instantly wake up and I can't go back to sleep. It's like he's in it. Like I can feel his energy. It's pretty crazy.
0: Hmm. I just love, I, I just love things like this. It's another lens that you can kind of examine yourself with. That's what I look at these things yeah. as. And I think, why not?
1: Yeah. And then work with it.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. I want to do a reading though, because there's so many pieces I don't understand. There's a lot to it. (laughs) You Mm. know, there's a lot of information about the main types for those listening who have no idea what the F we're talking about. There's a lot of information about the main types, but then there's so many other pieces to it that by looking at the chart, I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Like it affects your digestion, everything. Yeah. I agree. I'd like to go deeper as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I know I saw the digestion one mine was um open taste I was like oh all right <laughs> I can't remember what the label of mine was but
1: I know it's best for me to eat between sunrise and sundown and not after and
0: again that made so much sense
1: yeah, yeah.
0: so you need some time for digestion and just yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense so interesting yeah. I love it yeah Who's what like? is your daily ritual? So I talk to moms on the podcast who are always, of course, busy, and they're also entrepreneurs. They have a lot on the go, like yourself, and I love to hear what people's daily rituals are that keep them grounded and able to show up the best way possible.
1: Yeah. So to start the day for me, I have to get up before the sun comes up so I can have some time for myself. That is kind of my downtime. So the way I start my days, I get up in the dark and I put my swimmers on and I do about a K in our ocean pool down the road. And I kind of time that with sunrise so that when I'm finished, that's kind of my reward to then watch the sunrise, which is one of my favorite things to do and then also ground myself at the same time. And then that sets me up for the day because then I come home and it's obviously like breakfast time, getting dressed, all the chaos of the morning, which we try really hard not to make that chaotic. We try to have a slow morning um, cause I don't think there's anything worse to start the day off kind of with that energy. So, uh, and my daughter's at school now, so that's kind of changed things for us. We would have usually started our day and then going down to the beach again, but, um, she's off to school and then my son is with my partner and then I start work. So I come up to my office and, um, I usually start my working day by getting energetically aligned. So whatever that is, my ritual, my spiritual work meditation, doing, pulling a card. And then I get stuck into work. At the moment, I'm not really even having a break except kind of coming down for like something to eat. But I'm starting to think I need to like go for a walk at lunchtime or something to recalibrate. And then we all come back together about three o'clock when my daughter's finished school. In the afternoons, we will usually go down to the rock pools or go to the beach. Or my daughter has, she does uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, So that takes up a lot of our time. She's obsessed with that. So yeah. And then we come back to do the dinner thing and the bath thing. And it's kind of that same vibe of like that morning thing, but we try not to make it chaotic. And then hopefully at the end of the day, my partner and I have maybe an hour to ourselves to do something. Um, yeah. So we kind of really honor that time that we have, because that's really the only time we kind of get. And then I'm not a night person, and obviously I've been up before sunrise. So, and he's a night person, so usually I go to bed before him, and that's the day.
0: <laughs> yes, I love it, and I love that your daughter does Bra- Brazilian jiu-jitsu. My partner's yeah. Brazilian, and we we used to train. We stopped maybe maybe a year ago when we moved out of the city we were in, but we'd like to start again. It's just very weird here with. COVID. So it's, yeah, it's not as accessible right now, but we both really liked it. And I think, I think we'd like to try Leo and see what, see if he likes it too soon.
1: Yeah, I think it's amazing for them. I think it's amazing anyway. I don't do it. My partner did before he had an injury, but he's going to go back. But even just the family and community that's attached to it. Um, and the discipline and, and that's why she loves it. She's a Capricorn. So she loves that instruction and loves, like, she just wants to be the best. Like she's getting new straps on her belt, like every, every other week, like she just wants to win it. So, but she loves it. And it gives her such a, um, I mean, for me, even as a mother of a daughter, thinking that she has those self-defense skills makes me so happy but then even to see her striving for something and yeah, just being strong and like just becoming resilient, you know, there's like other people that are on top of her physically and being able to like move from that. I think, yeah, it's,
0: it's really powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's a really, really beautiful form of martial arts. I think it's, there's a lot of skill that goes into it And like all martial arts, so they're they're really beautiful in my opinion. There's skill, but there's also, like you said, typically that discipline in that to achieve a certain level of jujitsu, it wouldn't even matter if you were the strongest, quote unquote, you need to know the techniques and really learn them.
1: Yes, I love that. And I love that you do it. I wish I could do it. I don't know if it's my thing, but... I think that women should definitely be doing it. Yeah.
0: Do you want to know what actually stopped me now that I'm remembering? My nails. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I like having really long nails and it's hard to, you can't, you cannot have long nails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and do it. <laughs> it's kind of like the netball
1: thing when I was younger. Do you have netball in Canada? No. Okay. It's, um. I don't even know how to explain netball, but you have to have short nails So, um, yeah, and no jewelry and and all of that, obviously, so it doesn't get ripped out. But
0: I remember that being a thing. I didn't... Yeah, it was annoying when I was younger. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, Anita, what are you most grateful for in your life right now?
1: So much. um, Our lives have been kind of flipped over the last year or so, which I know a lot of people's lives have. But so much, like I I always had a vision of, like I never wanted to just kind of wake up in the morning and then everyone split and go different places or not be able to be close by where my children are going to school and and all of that. So I'm so grateful that we are now in a situation where my partner doesn't have to work at this point in time Um, and he's been able to be with us as a family because he used to work away a lot, like sometimes a month at a time. So Yeah, at this point in time, I'm just so, so grateful that, yeah, that he's with us and, yeah, he's there every night and, yeah, just just what we needed.
0: Mm -hmm. We are in a similar situation where my partner is with Leo most of the day. We have a part time nanny that helps us sometimes as well because, you know, dads need breaks too. But it's been really, really cool. And I think I feel so privileged that we were able to. Do that, And mm-hmm. a lot of kids don't get that one-on-one time. It's very typical, especially in Canada. We have really good, I'm sure in Australia as well, we have good maternity leave things in place. So, you know, typically the mom will get quite a bit of time with the child in the beginning, which is awesome. But it's often you, the dad doesn't. They're off for two weeks because that's their vacation or three mm. weeks in the beginning. And then it's weekends and evenings and it's not the same. So I feel really grateful for that as well.
1: Yeah, it's important. It's especially when everything at this point in time is trying to separate the family unit to be able to bring it together is, yeah, definitely
0: Mm -hmm. important. I love that. What is your why for your life? So this is the deep question. What gets you up in the morning and excited to do the work you do? What inspires you to keep that family unit strong? What is your why?
1: My why is bringing back matriarchy (laughs) in a nutshell (laughs) to shift the balance from patriarchy to matriarchy. And so, so yes, for my own family, but for community and for the world at large, I just don't see a a better thing that could happen. (laughs) So that's my why.
0: I love it. (laughs) <laughs> so let's jump right on into your journey as an entrepreneur. So I'd love to hear from you kind of why you started and what your business is all about for those listening who don't know you yet. Okay.
1: So why I started, so before I got into birth work, I was doing a lot of energy healing work and readings and Facilitating women's circles, and there was a very common thread that I kept seeing. This was um, prior to having children myself. There was a very common thread that I could see around this motherline wound, and um, just so many women having trauma around birth and motherhood, and yeah. And so when I became pregnant myself, I chose a very different path. I just intuitively knew there had to be something alternate, something different. I didn't feel in my soul it had to be, you know, that you had to walk away from your birth being traumatized, like it should be the opposite. And so I approached my pregnancy and birth, my first pregnancy with my daughter very differently. And the thing that started me was doing hypnobirthing and that opened my eyes to a lot of things. And But the main part of that was the woman who created the course that I learned from, her name's Marie Mongan. Her whole motto was, "Birth is not a medical event." And so for me, I felt that very strongly. And then I really came from that point. So, yeah, I I had my daughter, and then I decided to train in hypnobirthing. And then there was a few things that the way that that course kind of started to evolve, change, and I wasn't aligned with anymore. So I just kind of started working with these women that I was already working with, but then it transferred into their pregnancy journey and their births. So that's how that came about. So my work now is um, predominantly working with pregnant women to reconnect to themselves and their intuition so that they can create a different experience of pregnancy and birth. And then obviously that is such a huge catalyst for the way that they walk into motherhood. So really setting that right up from the beginning and even preconception. So when I was pregnant with my daughter, the other thing that was so strong within me was I needed to do a lot of inner work before I became a mum. And then that journey, yeah, just filtered into everything, filtered into the way I was birthing, filtered into everything. So, so yeah, that's how I work with, with women now I work with them one-on-one in the coaching program. And um, I, am very vocal on my <laughs> social media pages. So I suppose I would be, in, uh, you know, call myself an activist in that as well, fighting for women's rights with this. And then also with women's circles and and just circles like blessing ways, mother blessings and, and those things, bringing women together.
0: Mm. It really is magic when women are brought together, isn't it? There's something different about it. And it's interesting because I thought of this after... When I was reflecting on my birth and my, my son's birth, I should say, not mine, <laughs> um, my son's birth that I think I could have, I loved that my partner was there, but I, I didn't really feel his energy in the same way as I felt the doula who I had actually never met yet. It was She was a stand-in for my doula and we were supposed to meet and we just didn't get to. And I'd never met this woman before, never met her. And she just came right in there and I was already 10 centimeters dilated and she just came right in there and supported me. And I just, it was something about that type of energy that was just different. And yeah, I just think that's on one example, but I just see it time and time again that when women come together, it's very, very magical.
1: Absolutely. There's such an importance for only women's space, like women, just women being able to gather um, and I always used to see it, and I still do, that when we would gather as women, the energy that we created and the healing that happened just emanated like far beyond that circle. Like way, I could just, yeah, I just used to feel that all the time. And you're absolutely right. Like we know how to help each other heal. We know how to heal ourselves. We know we hold so much wisdom and power, which obviously is why it's been trying to be suppressed for all this time. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that you hold that space for people too and realize that you had that gift of facilitating or making that happen because we need, we need those people to keep these types of things going so that we can heal. And I think you're exactly right to that ripple effect of even when one woman heals herself and heals a lot of the trauma she's been carrying that immediately affects everyone around her. And that's that feminine energy. I, I think, you know, it automatically yeah. affects her family and her friends because of the way she can now show up.
1: Absolutely. When women are thriving, everybody is thriving. And especially when the mother is thriving and we, are, we know it as mothers, like if we're off, our entire household is off. But when we're thriving, everyone's on, like, it's so, it's really obvious when you, when you really reflect upon it.
0: Definitely. Totally. And something that I, this is just a small thing, but it seemed wild to me that women s- still get that guilty feeling for taking care of themselves when they have a family. Because for me, it always felt like I have to. If I don't take care of myself, it's not going to be a good situation for myself, for my son, for anyone around me. So it always felt like Actually, the selfless thing to do, but a lot of times it's portrayed as being selfish, and that has just never yeah. sat well with me. And I've all, never understood it honestly.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's that, um, that uh, oppression identity sometimes. I think, I think some you know, we've been oppressed for so long that yeah, I think that it's maybe some sometimes more comfortable for some women to not step out of that. And then it becomes that motherhood martyrdom and you're right. Like you can't pour from an empty cup and yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Even from that perspective, it's you cannot. And that is always, I will say, I feel grateful that that seemed to be ingrained in me that I wasn't gonna not take care of myself. I wasn't going to be this martyr Uh, because it just, I just knew it was not going to work out well.
1: (laughs) And that's amazing because I think I had to learn that. So it's amazing. It was ingrained or you had seen that modeled because I absolutely had to relearn that. It wasn't what I was shown
0: my way. No, and you're right, though. It's hard if you've never been shown kind of a different way. So that's why it's great, though, that people like you exist and even this platform where I can talk mm-hmm. to amazing women who can say, hey, this is why, why you, don't, you don't have to feel guilty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So something I was really curious to ask you about, Anita, when I heard about this was conscious conception. So can you tell me, I've never heard of this term before, I'd love to hear what this term is and anything you can tell us about it. Okay. So conscious conception, think about
1: the word conscious. It's actually, I mean, doing something with intention or purpose. So I suppose what it's not is, you know, just kind of saying, oh, okay, well, we're married or we're together or it's time for kids. So I'll just go off the pill and we'll just see what happens. That's kind of, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just not really conscious. And I suppose the, the purpose of it is that it then sets up that consciousness again for pregnancy, being conscious, being conscious in birth and then conscious parenting. Because as we know, just to speak about unconscious parenting for a moment, we just fall straight into the default when we're not conscious of it. So even if you track that back down the line, we just fall into the default for birth if we're not conscious of it. So, but what does that look like? Conscious conception is first And foremost, I believe it is reconnecting with your cycle and your bleed and really connecting to the sacredness of that. And that that is, you know, there's so much healing to do around that for a start because a lot of us have taught that it's that we should be ashamed of it or it's dirty or whatever it is. But in fact, that's where our power lies. So to come back to that space, you know, the first thing I think the first step And then after that, you know, this this could look like ritual or a spiritual approach to calling in your baby. So we have a lot of like nutritional preconception guides and, you know, we should be doing this with the physical body and making sure our gut microbiome is, you know, is set up in the right way and all of those physical things. But there is this, you know, deeper and emotional and spiritual level where we need to prepare ourselves and, and then invite in our baby. And then again, that sets up another, it sets up the tone for, okay, I'm ready. And so now I'm waiting for you. Like you are the catalyst that you you need to come in um, when you're ready. And then, like I said, you can see how that flows into birth. You know, so we get to the end of our pregnancy and so many women are like, I want to have this baby now, but it's a co-creation. Like, is your baby ready? Like your baby also knows, you know, when they're ready. So yeah, it's it's essentially calling in making sure you are a vessel energetically, I believe, as well as physically um, the optimum vessel for, to be able to carry a child and then saying, okay, baby, if you're around, like I'm ready when you are. And then, yeah, becoming ready for when they're ready to come to earth, come, yeah,
0: come down. I love that. That's so cool. And kind of what I'm hearing of it is too, that it's, that mental kind of preparation in a way too whereas I think you're right especially during pregnancy it's talked a lot about you know what it's almost policing like what you're eating and all this stuff and preconception it's become more mainstream to talk about how you're preparing physically but you're right uh, there's not a lot talked about in terms of your own healing which you brought up in the beginning and then having this space and this intentionality about what you're wanting to create, which I just, I love that. Yeah, exactly. Like if you, I, I remember even having the
1: thought, if I can't look after myself and if I can't, you know, get to a point where I feel I'm ready, essentially can't look after myself, like and be thriving myself, how could I then bring on another person and bring another person into the world? That was That was my introduction of it for myself because the term conscious conception when I was Like what I was doing was conscious conception like five, six years ago, six years ago, but the term wasn't really around that I had seen. So, and then later on I married the two up and I was like, that's exactly what that was.
0: That's what I did. So let's just go through now the next stage. We might as well. So we talk a little bit about conception. Now let's talk a little bit about pregnancy. And you had talked about the term wild pregnancy. And again, that was something I've never heard. So I would love for you to tell us a bit about what a wild pregnancy is. Okay. So a wild pregnancy or what I would call an unmedicalized
1: pregnancy. So some people would say that that is black and white and that it is absolutely no medical intervention or medical assistance at all. Some people would say that it's just what you choose. Um because as we know if we choose a medicalized pregnancy or if we just have a a midwife or a doctor or OB that we see, it's very hard to choose what we want and what we don't want. We fall into their system and it's a fight to to be able to drive it. They're essentially driving it. So a wild pregnancy is yeah, an unmedicalized pregnancy. So some women take a test at the beginning to you know to confirm for their own peace of mind whether they are pregnant or not and then from then on they just manage i mean they just be pregnant and grow a baby and become really in tune with their body so that and themselves so that you know if something were to occur that they would know because a lot of our prenatal testing and our the diagnostics around that even if you think about ultrasound even if something were to be detected, which is ironic saying that anyway, because there is so much that is missed anyway with ultrasounds and so many um, misdiagnoses. But if something is to be picked up, there's not a lot that can be done anyway. So, maybe that's a good thing for women to think about as well. And it's very hard when you come from a different perspective where we only know medicalized pregnancy. And there's that thought I'm just thinking about some women that are listening and thinking, yes, but what if something goes wrong? Isn't that irresponsible? And a lot of the pathology around pregnancy is absolute worst case scenario. Um, and a lot of this testing and medicalization of pregnancy used to be just for emergency, but has now become routine. So it's essentially opting out of that system. And as I said, just growing a baby and being pregnant and living without appointment after appointment.
0: It's interesting because I kind of opted out of certain things just because I felt to your point and just little things. I was like, what's the point of doing a diabetes for me? I'm like, what's the point of doing the Gestational diabetes thing. I'm like, what will you do? They're like, nothing. I was like, okay, then I'm not doing it. <laughs> like yeah. so I I felt I felt good about what I did or didn't do. And also for me, I never weighed myself. Some people think even that's wild. I'm like, I don't need to weigh myself. I didn't need I didn't want to say I didn't want to say I, that. <laughs> I haven't weighed myself since I was 18. I'm not going to start now because I'm pregnant. It just, it kind of confused me some of the things, but it's interesting because for me on the flip side, I liked going to the appointments sometimes because there were certain parts that I found like fun, you know, when they get the sonogram and you can hear the heartbeat. It's like a very beautiful sound. feels nice. I liked that. And then yeah, other parts I was like, no, thanks. I don't <laughs> like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. And um, well, this is another point to it as well that we've been conditioned to look outside of ourselves to connect with our baby. And and even, like, I was the same with my first pregnancy. I wanted to hear her heartbeat. But then I learned about the dangers of that machine and then I got to this place where I thought, so, you know, just being becoming conscious of it and making a different decision then. But like I said, you know, we can connect with our babies in other ways. It's just It's just that we've, again, it sets up, it plants the seeds for looking outside of ourselves, uh, which then happens in birth, and that's that's kind of how that rolls on. So, yeah, there's a beauty in becoming so connected with yourself during pregnancy that you can interpret the signals that your body is sending you, and that your baby, you know, the way they're trying to connect with you. And I should point out as well, I didn't. My pregnancies would not have been classed as wild pregnancies. Um, I still wasn't of that consciousness of wow, I really can just not do all of it if I didn't want to. And then there's the other side of it where like it needs to be flexible. For me, I had a a loss in between my two children and there was a, I, I mean, I did the same. Like when I became pregnant with my son, I couldn't connect to him because of the fear of losing a baby again. And so for my own, I would say mental health, I went and had an ultrasound, but again, it was me. Like I could have done the work to just really trust it. I still wasn't a hundred percent trusting it. So I had an ultrasound and that's all I had during that pregnancy. But some people would say that's, you know, not a wild pregnancy. And I probably wouldn't say it was either. So it's, yeah, the term is also, I think, can be flexible, you know. I think there's there's purpose in some tests for a woman's – I mean, we don't want to be sitting there stressed if we can alter that, if there is something that can help us. But it's the routine and the over-the-top looking for something to go wrong that I don't align with.
0: Yeah, and I can – for me, from my experience, I will say too that sometimes the tests – so there's one where, here where they – they kind of do measurements, you know, like they measure how things are growing. And I found that just gave me a little bit of anxiety and I'm not a generally anxious person, but I was like, is is that okay? Like, is that going to be okay? So I think there is something to be said for trusting in the process because sometimes now that I'm reflecting, the test gave me more anxiety. So I think to your point, yeah, if it's, for your mental health as a mom and it's going to make you feel good to just like hear that heartbeat once then I totally understand it but the flip side was sometimes it made me feel like fuck is something going to go wrong like I'm and Mm -hmm. then I would wait and I always think about that probably not very good when my heart rate is like (laughs) like for the for the baby not to put pressure on us but I just think ideally the way I look at it probably the happiest calmest that I am the best, the better it is for the baby. Absolutely.
1: And I mean, even if we just look around, how many moms have been told that their baby is measuring big and, oh, my God, like you're going to have to have a C-section and their baby comes out and they're not. It's so inaccurate. And I just wish women understood that the majority of testing um, and interventions during birth are not evidence-based. And have been around for hundreds of years brought into the system by for reasons that you, that would blow your mind there. Yeah. It's just, it's incredible. And I think the other really important thing, like for women to understand is that medical providers don't trust birth. I mean, that's obvious to me, but they also really strongly truly believe, and this is just like filtered through the entire system that birth is safest if they're managing it. So then to, I mean, they see women that are kind of waking, waking up to this and saying, I don't want to do this test. I don't want to do this test. So there is almost now a desperation where they think it's in the best interest of us and our babies that if they plant some seeds during pregnancy, then that will, it's almost fearing us into handing over our birth to them. So Yeah. I mean, it's very complicated, but it's also not because they really do believe that and they will do anything to be able to manage it. So yeah, (laughs) it's it's pretty political.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you know what I found just kind of illustrated the the amount to which a hospital birth is ingrained, for example, in North American culture. I'm sure it's similar in Australia too, in most places in the world right now. Um, It's so ingrained that the first question I would get when people found out I was pregnant was what hospital are you going to? Yes, exactly. So I think to me that just illustrates it and people know my story probably if they're listening to this, but if they don't, long story short is I innately knew I wanted to have a birth at home with like a doula and a midwife and at home, I just like knew that, but I was so scared to say it. I was Mm. too scared. So what I said was, and what I put in my birth plan and all that was, we're going to, you know, labor at home until the very end. And then I'm going to go to the hospital. That was my quote unquote plan. Just not go. Yeah, (laughs) totally. And you know, there was a part of me that thought, yeah, that's a, that might work. But deep down, I was like, no, no, no. I want to do this if possible with zero, like, interventions. That was my goal. Mm. And I did feel that was possible for me. Don't know how I felt that, but I did. <laughs> but when it came down to it, I was 10 centimeters dilated by the time anyone got there. So they asked me if I wanted to go to the hospital. I said, fuck no. Literally. I was like, fuck no. <laughs> like, no, honey. I'm yeah. good. Thank you. Why would we shift this? Like this energy is good. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that just illustrated though, for me that It was so ingrained in our culture. Like that was the question I got. Even before sometimes, how are you feeling or anything like that? What hospital are you going to? Like, what are you packing in your hospital bag? And I was kind of like awkwardly looking around. Like I was scared to say like, I'm not going to go to a hospital. I hate hospitals, first of all. And second of all, just, I think it was an intuition thing. I just felt strongly. I have a huge, deep trust in my body. It's only grown now that I've actually done it, gone through birth, but mm-hmm. I have a very deep sense of trust in my body. And, in, and I think in general, in the woman's body, I'm like, we've been doing this for some time, honey. Like how long have mm-hmm. a humans been around? I don't know, millennia. So <laughs> we used to do this, you know, in a field probably, I don't know, maybe someone would help catch the baby, perhaps, maybe not even. Yeah. I'm like, we've been doing (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, two things
1: there, Emily, like, and this is why I work with women on their intuition because I truly believe that if a woman is reconnected to herself and her intuition, that she will believe and know that same thing about herself. The other point to that is, it is definitely ingrained within our society and our culture but only for a couple of generations. If women really go back and speak to their great grandmother, um, and it depends where you are, even their grandmother, this was not the case. They did not go to hospital. And, well, I guess there's another point there too. For women to even feel scared to voice their choices, you know then that, that there has been a manipulation of the way people think about birth. And that has to re- that has to ring alarm bells, you know. Like for an, for a woman to tell another woman that she trusts her body, and then like it become such a big deal, that's some major brainwashing. So yeah, that I mean, yeah, that's why I work with women. You know, I kind of got to this point where I was like, how can I best serve women? Sure, I can be at their births, but I would love it for them to just kind of. Choose me to be there, not need me to be there. And for them to get to this place of remembering and going, I mean, every, most women you speak to will say, I want to do it naturally. They, sometimes they don't even know what that means, but there's something within them that is innate, like you had. And like you said, that is, that is like, I, I don't want drugs and instruments. And that doesn't feel right to be in the same space as birth and my, and my new baby. So women know this. It just takes them to either remember it or see other women doing it to remember it.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting too. speaking about my partner who's Brazilian. Brazil has, I think, still like the highest C-section rate. It does. Yeah. So for, from his perspective too, you have to think culturally for him, C-section is the norm, not even like a hospital birth vaginally. It's like c-section was the norm so for me and him too I was so far removed like what I wanted was so far removed from the culture there that was very kind of interesting to navigate but you are so bang on in calling that out that I was scared to tell people about what I wanted for my body like that's wild to me when we just stop and pause on that like that's wild I was is, scared to say, this is what I want. And it's because I trust my body. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It's, it's crazy to have the
1: conversation. I remember have, having a conversation and just reflecting upon it and thinking, so I trust myself, but they don't trust me. And that's a big deal. And they don't trust me because they don't trust themselves. Sure. But I mean, I was ostracized. I was, yeah, And this is during my daughter's pregnancy. So I learned to lie for my own safety and lie for the safety of my baby because I've I've known people to have the ambulance called on them because they thought that, oh, yeah, like birth. I've known so many births have been sabotaged by private midwives, by partners, by, yeah, you wouldn't even believe it. And that's disgusting because that woman trusted herself, but you didn't trust her. So what is that saying? Like if you're a partner um, or a husband, what is that saying about the way you think about your partner? So do you trust her that to then mother your child? Like, yeah, it's pretty, pretty goes pretty deep. <laughs> uh, and then when does. I was pregnant with my son, I, and I knew from about 20 weeks when free birthing the term and like the this like idea awakened within me. And I was like, this is exactly what I'm doing. I didn't tell anyone. I think I told my best friend um, and I told obviously my partner. Um, And then he had some work to do on that, which was his own work to do. But I even remember telling my best friend and she said to me, and we talk about it all the time, like she said, oh, yeah, well, how would they know? And I'm like, who's they? No one owns my birth but me. Who's they? Like this is not a – no one has legal right over my birth and my baby. Like, yeah, it was just interesting. But I kept it very – like I protected it like I protected my baby because I didn't want anyone's fear infiltrating that because that is so unsafe to have fear in that birth space. So, yeah.
0: You know what's clicking for me though too is I wonder – if part of the reason I didn't want a voice that I wanted a home birth was exactly what you're saying. I wonder if part of it was I intuitively knew I don't want people saying I can't do it, saying it's bad mm-hmm. that I've never thought of that, but I bet that was a part of it that I was thinking yeah. like if I, cause if you talk about it, people who don't understand again, it's so ingrained culturally, they'll say that's unsafe don't know what stats they're using, but they'll, they'll say that's unsafe. <laughs> or why would you put yourself at risk? Like kind of putting that guilt and blame on me. So I yep. bet that's part of why I just didn't even want to go there.
1: Definitely. When you've done that work and you have an inner knowing. And also when I, you know, to talk about intuition, intuition isn't logical. It's a feeling and a knowing. So you can't analytically put that together always in a sentence or with words. And so when people are wanting an explanation of why you intuitively know something, like, first of all, they don't need anything. <laughs> like you don't, they don't need to take anything from you, but that's what they're requiring and requesting of you, but you can't do it. And then, so because you can't do it, they think it's wrong, but it's not. And, and of course, like who wants to tell people and then swim upstream your entire pregnancy and have to battle off people the entire time. And then in the birth room, no one, it's not that the energy so, you want to be with.
0: No, but that is so wild. that I didn't put that together before. That's so interesting. But again,
1: like you knew it intuitively, and it's hard to put words to it. So that's why. Yeah, I know.
0: Totally. So let's talk about free birth briefly here. So you mentioned that that you knew that that was something that you wanted to do when you kind of realized that was a concept. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it is? Because again, that was another thing I've, I hadn't heard of before.
1: Yeah. So from my perspective, free birth is birth that is free. So to me, birth that is free is away from and outside of the medical model because I personally don't believe it's a medical event unless it has to be. So it's for me, it's the default of birth, no adults um, add-ons. It's the organic nature of birth. So what that looks like for me then is birth at home, usually like family birth without a medical attendant. Because, yeah, when we believe birth isn't a medical event, why? You know, I think of birth as a physiological process, just like other physiological and biological processes within the body. And I know that that's hard if it hasn't come into your sphere before, because there's a lot of unpacking to do with that. We've been so programmed to believe that birth is dangerous and we should fear birth. So then there's the, yeah, but what if? Well, in my eyes, the what if is, okay, so if there is a what if, thank goodness for medical assistance and I can go to that place, Uh, but I don't need it there the whole entire time, like something is going to go wrong when the majority of time it doesn't. So that, yeah, so free birth is, in my perspective, without a medical attendant or provider at the time of birth. And to me, even after, because I know some women do call someone to make sure everything's fine. Well, they would, they know they should just, yeah, they would know. So that's my interpretation of free birth. And that's what I had with my son.
0: Mm, Very cool. And then your first, so when your daughter was born, you had some sort of attendance or were you at home? What was that birth?
1: So I had a midwife. I was
0: accepted
1: into, I'm doing air quotes because (laughs) there's a lot kind of connected to that as well. But I had, yeah, I was accepted into a midwifery program that was attached to like a, not the hospital, like a birth center. So my original plan, because I essentially just had to unpack all this stuff, like as I went along with my pregnancy with my daughter, I thought that a family birth center would be not the hospital, but in fact, it it's pretty much the hospital. They're usually attached to hospitals, especially in Australia. So that was my first kind of move away from the system. And then I realized you could have a home birth midwife. And so I, I had her, it was called a domino plan. So I don't, I don't really know, like it was, I think that was, I think the plan was that you could either be at home or go to the family birth center. So for me, that was good then because I still hadn't become aware of a lot of things. So I did have a a midwife, but I had a midwife that did not touch me. And I know, I know so many women say this. I was so lucky I had the good midwife and I did. I absolutely did. Uh, She was making coffee. She was sitting away from me. She came to me, she did use the Doppler, which, you know, looking back, I wouldn't do that again, but I didn't know. But essentially she was the best version of a, what I believe is a, a home birth midwife. And it's really interesting too, just talking about, you know, talking about our plans around birthing. <laughs> and so with both of them, I didn't tell anyone I was home birthing either, because even that was extreme to people around me. But then after the fact I did, and they were, everyone was like, amazing, congratulations, because I had a midwife. When I free birth with my son without a midwife, oh no. <laughs> I mean the exact same thing unfolded, but oh no, how risky and irresponsible of you. But I I mean, she was a gift too because she act, she literally did nothing but hold space for me. And so then when it came to birthing and being pregnant with my son and and thinking about birthing him, having a conversation with my partner. I said, so tell me what she did that I needed if birth was unfolding the way it should. And he said nothing because nothing was wrong in inverted commas. Um, So, So yeah, I had a midwife, uh, but there were things too that happened. Like I, I had stitches after my daughter, which I don't believe I would have needed to have. And so that was still that medicalization, like a midwife is still medically trained, you know? Yeah. So that was the, it was good. I got like a contrasting experience, I suppose, Mm -hmm. with my daughter and my son.
0: The other thing too, that's cool though, about you had that experience and you, not that you needed this, but I think it's cool that you could kind of say to your partner, like what, you know, what would have been different about it if it was just you and me and maybe your daughter the second time, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, nothing. I think that's just, it, it's kind of a nice, not that you needed that, but it's a nice layer of for, for sometimes the partners <laughs> It's like,
1: yeah, See, you don't need it. <laughs> yeah, and that's like that's not to dismiss any midwife skills or what they've been taught and what they've learned, but they've essentially learnt an emergency situation, and so there wasn't one ever. And so, yeah, you're right. He was like, yeah, nothing. <laughs> He's
0: like, hey, it's interesting. Oh wow, wait, yeah. you did it? Oh, that's right, you did it. <laughs> wait, you, you, the, private yeah. one the baby that's gonna come out of your body it's wild because I had a very similar type of midwife experience. I had a home birth and I had one midwife and a doula. They got there the last, like the baby was born in 20, 30 minutes after they got there. So kind of similar to now what you're saying, I'm like, really? There probably wasn't anything they needed yeah. to do. And she all she really did was like look I'm sure you just had to look and I was already 10 centimeters dilated and I I just knew I'm like yeah it's not like I need to push like that's kind of where we're at but there wasn't really anything else that they did I mean they weighed the baby they did cut an umbilical cord I guess that's about it (laughs) well and with my son
1: I didn't we didn't weigh him and didn't matter and we cut the cord so you know like it's Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's not to dismiss anything that they have, any skills that they have. It's just that we can also have, we do have those skills to be able to cut our child's umbilical cord and to, and you know, even with the dilation, I mean, that is something that I did learn from that first midwife because she never told me my dilation. And so, because there still were elements of me that were looking outside of myself during that birth is what I've realized. And I even though I didn't think I was at the time, but upon reflection, I thought to myself, Oh yeah, she never told me my dilation. And of course I didn't need to know my dilation. And then that was something I remembered again. And then, and then that's, you know, something that I can then share with women around, you know, so tell me why you want to, because it will probably just bring you into your head. Right. And like, imagine if they told you, Oh, you're only two centimeters or
0: how different that, you know, you would have felt totally and the thing is though again reflecting i did most of my labor actually completely by myself i didn't even wake yeah. my partner up for the first like 4 hours and it was only 6 hours long so yeah. i was mostly by myself and yeah there was no need I, I mean that didn't even cross my mind though i just i knew it was progressing like i could feel yeah, it you knew. i was like yep yeah. and it's interesting because i didn't even know the concept of hypnobirthing but i'm someone who's been doing meditation and things like this for so long so when i when i describe it back to people i'm like i do feel like i was in a, a type of meditative state where i was in the zone that's what yeah. I, how i describe it i was like i was in the fucking zone and i just remember coming out of the zone a couple times you know to be like yeah, tell them to come. <laughs> like I had to tell my partner yeah. like it's probably time. But then I was kind of right right back in it. And yeah, yeah, knowing the amount I was dilated would have changed nothing. Actually, it could have hindered. That's the only thing I would say. Yeah, that's what
1: I mean. Yep. And and the the negativity around that is you can go from 10 to 5 to uh, sorry, from 2 to 5 to 10 very quickly, but you know, if you get into your head then and come out of that altered state of consciousness, like you already knew, right? But if there was something else told to you, or even if they said you were eight, like it, it shifts that altered state of consciousness. And I don't even know if women know this, but not all women even get to 10. Like, what is this 10 number? (laughs) Like, Birth happens even sometimes, like it, women don't have to be at 10 centimeters. To, we're not robots. So yeah, there's a lot, a lot with that for sure. It's That's when it does hinder because you knew it was, you knew how it felt, how birth was feeling and that you were nearly there, right? Um, mm-hmm. But then to have someone external say any different changes that, and you doubt
0: yourself again and doubt your intuition. 1000%. And so I'm really, really, really grateful that it ended up that I had this amazing experience and that I was just in the zone for like four hours by myself doing my thing. It was really cool. Yeah. It's amazing. I love that. Yeah. So if women can just
1: even take from that, that deciding someone else or allowing someone else into your birth space can shift that like dramatically and can change the whole event. In yeah, in a negative way, and it can be that simple—just inviting someone into your birth space. So yeah, it didn't for you, which is amazing. But think about how, you know, it could have.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think partly is that I was already ready to push pretty much when they got there. By yeah. the time they got there, so I had done the labor by myself. Like right, I was already yeah. in the stage of, and by that point, anyone who's been through labor. It's like, there's no, I mean, there's no stopping that part. Like <laughs> that, that's that got to go. <laughs> yeah. And I mean,
1: yes, but there are, I i have worked with women who have been told by midwives, stop pushing, stop, close no. your legs, stop pushing. There's something wrong. Yeah. And they will, yeah. And we talk about it all the time as in, this is something that's happening through your body. It's like vomiting. You can't stop that, but they try um, for whatever reason, they
0: think it's unsafe to keep pushing. Yeah. No, that's a good kind of analogy. It, it did feel like that. Or like when you have diarrhea, like it's like, yeah, you it's can't coming out. I, I, I'm yeah. not stopping that midstream. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're like, stop, close your
1: legs, stop pushing, close your legs. And then they call an ambulance and they're telling them the same in the ambulance. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Absolute oh sabotage.
0: Yeah. I, I remember though, and I don't remember who I heard this from, but was it a nurse? Anyway, they said that it's really common that a woman will come to the hospital. So she's already done a little bit of labor, comes to the hospital. She's, you know, it's progressing and then all of a sudden stops. Oops. Yep. <laughs> and I said that would have happened for me because I don't, I really yeah. dislike being in the hospital environment for me. So I could totally see, like I was in the zone in this meditative state is what I would call it. And then, if all of a sudden I had to like pack up my shit and like get in a car and go to the hospital, yeah. of course my body's yeah. gonna be like, "What's going on?
1: Why are we mm-hmm. doing this?" <laughs> and this is what happens for so many women that are even even uh, choose to go to the hospital from the beginning. And you know, they say my late. You know, they will tell them labor has stopped. Well, labor can stall because it. You know, the mammalian part of you says this is an unsafe space to be if you think about like a lioness in the wild and like a predator comes that she perceives is unsafe then labor can stop because this is not a safe space for that baby to come out so the things that um trigger that are bright lights unfamiliar places unfamiliar people sounds all of that like we are we've dropped into a you know this state where We're perceiving things through our senses more and they're heightened more for our safety and our baby's safety. So it makes sense that that stop, like labor and birth just says, no, (laughs) our body says, no, baby says, no. Yeah. They're
0: like, no, thanks. And
1: and that's why inductions happen. And that's why instrumental births happen because labor is like, no, we need to go move somewhere safer. And then it's just forced. And that's why there's so much damage.
0: Wow. It is such to me, an important issue to focus on because to me, that is the way a new, obviously, the way a new human is starting out in the world. And then we talked a little about just that the mother wounding and just motherhood being very difficult for so many people. And a lot of what I have seen and heard, and you would know even more, is that it is a lot related to how traumatic they found the birth. And it would be really hard to start this whole new role of mother and start this child's new life, having this terrible experience. So it's just, it's really important. The work that you're doing.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, and even if you go back to thinking about their own births that comes into play as well. Yeah. There's so much.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So much to it. Well, I could talk to you for hours, (laughs) but (laughs) I want to be respectful of your time. So um, before we get into the lightning round, I wanted to quickly touch on this just to make sure it's kind of in this episode because I think it's important. Mm -hmm. If someone listening is considering or even just wants to learn a little more about what I should say, what are the alternatives that are there? You know, like that they could have a home birth or a free birth or a different pregnancy than what they have been kind of told needs to happen. What are some good places to start maybe to research or to look into that can just give some other perspectives if people are curious?
1: Yeah. So I think the most important thing is to start connecting with and listening to other women that have birthed the way that you visualize your own dream birth would unfold and, and connecting with and surrounding yourself with women who are in their power and who have birthed in their power, because then it shows you what is possible. And when you know what is possible, you start remembering and feeling your own power.
0: Mm. So before we get into the lightning round, I wanted to acknowledge you, Anita, for the amazing work that you're doing in really supporting women and coming back to their intuition and understanding that they have the power within them to birth the way they want to. It's really, really beautiful.
1: Thank you. Thank you for giving me this um, opportunity and holding this space for me to share that for other women.
0: Mm, it's been my pleasure. And honestly, I love hearing about this. I could talk to you for hours. So you have a podcast as well, though, where we probably could learn a lot more. Yes.
1: Yeah, so I have the Midwich podcast. So on there, I have interviewed that have had free births and wild pregnancies, but I've also interviewed a whole lot of other women that um, are in the birthing world in their own different way. So acupuncturists and, and a whole lot of alternative um, insights into pregnancy and birth through them.
0: Mm, I love that. Okay, let's get into the lightning round. You ready? Do it. (laughs) Favorite book. So favorite book I have right here, always on
1: my desk, Dr. Christiane Northrup's Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. This was one of the first books I ever read. I have like the 1995 version, I'm pretty sure, which really awakened me to that wisdom that women have, obviously. Yeah, that was one of my first starting points. I believe every woman woman should read that.
0: I haven't read it. So I'm going to have to. This is why I love asking this question. I'm like a huge reader. But I love, I talk to these smart women and they tell me new books. I don't know. I'm like, yes.
1: <laughs> it's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah.
0: Morning beverage of choice.
1: So I usually have a reishi coffee or I have um, a Love Mate. A beautiful woman I know has a brand called Love Mate and it's Macaroot, Guarana, cacao and... Oh, Yerba yerba Mate. Um, So I'll have that if I'm, yeah, I'll have that if I'm not having a coffee. But usually I have my coffee, my Reishi coffee with almond milk. Mm,
0: Delicious. Favorite podcast?
1: So Joe Rogan podcast is always a go-to just to see who he's got on because he's pumping them out so fast. But at the moment, I'm searching anything with Dr. Zach Bush. I'm obsessed with anything he has to share at the moment. So I'm kind of just doing a search on him.
0: Okay. See, this is why I love podcasts too, though, because if you find someone you like, you can see what other interviews they've done. It's really, really cool for that too. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to have to look that up. (laughs) Favorite TV show or movie? So favorite movie ever is Point Break. Um,
1: That's always a go-to or forgetting Sarah Marshall. But at the moment we're watching a show called No Action. Mm. It's, oh, sorry, No Activity. It's uh, the US version Yeah, it doesn't, oh, I think it had Will Ferrell in it for one episode, two episodes, but it's a whole lot of like skit actors. It's not really about anything, but it's just, it's hilarious. So that's our go-to at the moment.
0: Mm, Love a little comedic intervention too.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and I need that while I'm waiting for Yellowstone to come back out in the second season. (laughs) So that was the, that was, yeah, we watched the first season. So that might be my favorite. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, You know, I haven't watched it. I've heard it's kind of violent. Is it yeah, it kind of like, is. Yeah. I'm like a <laughs> bit of a baby with that stuff. <laughs> it's it's intense. Yeah, it's definitely intense. But I have watched pretty violent shows and I just cover my eyes when it gets too weird. It's okay. Me too. Yeah, I'm a wuss. I can't watch scary <laughs> things. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite place you've traveled?
1: This is a hard one. So we've, we've done Europe and the US, but I and Thailand and Bali and New Zealand, but when I always reflect upon my favorite place, I would have to say New Zealand. I felt so connected to New Zealand; it was just beautiful. But I also loved Ibiza and Miami for the climate and the beaches. Not the not the nightlife so much for me, but yeah. But I would say New Zealand.
0: Miami is my favorite U.S. city. I love it it's, there.
1: Yeah, the culture as well, and the it's yeah. Fun. We,
0: like the art scene's really cool there. I do like nightlife too. So they have it all, right? Like they have the nightlife. They have the beautiful restaurants though. If you don't want to like go out at night, they have the beach that's really beautiful. And then yeah, the art and kind of culture scene. Oh, and this big sports teams, which I love too. They just have it all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's awesome. Okay. If you could jump on a plane tomorrow, where would you go? So I would
1: use, I mean, I want to go to Canada and I want to go to Canada in summer. That has always been on my list. But right now, if it was tomorrow, I would go to Sweden because they are not down for this COVID BS. (laughs) They They don't have restrictions. They don't, I mean, they're amazing anyway. They don't have like vaccines in their school, like, you know, related to their school system and Yeah, I'd probably go there. There's just such a sense of freedom and common sense in Sweden. And it's beautiful, obviously. Mm -hmm. So I'd probably go there tomorrow.
0: Yeah, I feel like Norway's similar and like my mom's family's Norwegian and I'm always like, my people! Because yeah, I'm like, you're doing a lot of stuff right. Like the way that they treat, speaking of mothers, like the way that they treat maternity leave there, I think it's like kind of the gold standard that we have right now and they do such a good job. Yeah,
1: I would say that's probably... You know, your ancestors speaking through you when you're talking about, I'm not sure where that intuition and that knowing came from. From there, you're not so far removed from that.
0: Totally. So, final question to wrap up something I'm so passionate about is confidence. And I love teaching Mm -hmm. women about it and sharing about it because to me, well, speaking of in the birth realm, you need the confidence to stand up for what you want and say, I want to do a free birth, I want to do it this way. You need to have that confidence as well, along with the intuition. So I'd love to hear from you, Anita, what does confidence mean to you?
1: Mm. Well, I think they're both so connected, that uh, intuition and confidence, because I think confidence comes from knowing yourself, like like really knowing yourself, and then from that place taking action and moving forward in anything, just unwaveringly and unapologetically. I think that's confidence.
0: Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, Anita. Everyone, make sure you go follow at The Midwitch, and I will link it all up, but it was so great having you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I love this chat. Thank you. I
0: appreciate it you for listening to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. If you liked our podcast, please be sure to leave a comment or review and be sure to tune in next time.